0: Praise our God who has incomparable riches of grace. And tonight I was so excited to share with you a little bit about repentance. Some of you are familiar with that church word. Uh, Repentance really has three parts. Uh, The first part is what we call contrition or being sorry for our sins. Our second part is trusting in Jesus' cross. And the third part is saying I never want to do what I just confessed again. Uh, Holy Spirit, empower me. And in our first lesson, we hear a call for repentance, uh, to recognize our need for it, uh, the need to continually do this. So let's turn to Isaiah chapter 59. Uh, The words will be on the screen for you. We're going to read just a few verses. For our offenses are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities, rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on our God inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. So justice is driven back, and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. I don't know if any of this strikes you as today's culture. I I can't help but think of How there is no objective truth anymore. And if you want to be righteous, you will be subject to pray. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that no one, and he was appalled that there was no one able to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. And his righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak according to what they have done. So will he repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands their due. From the west people will fear the name of the Lord and from the rising of the sun they will revere his glory. For he will come like a pent-up flood that the breach of the Lord drives along. The Redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who repent of their sins declares the Lord. These are the words we get to meditate on. Do you know what blind spots are? Now here I'm not talking about driving, and those are bad. Uh, thankfully, in some mirrors, there is that big flashing light that tells you if someone's in your blind spot. But blind spots, personally. A blind spot could be described this way, that it's something you do that is wrong or offensive or hurtful, but you don't even know it. <laughs> Has anyone ever exposed a, a blind spot to you? Something that you didn't even know you were doing was wrong? I'll tell you a story of when I first moved to the Chicago area. Um, I had the mission of going door to door. Now, the blind spot wasn't that. Some would object to -to door-to-door. We don't do that anymore. The blind spot was my approach, and sometimes I was overly friendly, which, if you know me, probably doesn't shock you. But as I came to one household, and I was standing on the porch there, I was so friendly that this person thought, well, he must know me, and I have just forgotten, like, uh, he must be my neighbor because no one really acts this way. She was shocked to find out I was not her neighbor, who she had forgotten, and then she was a little stunned. Well, then why are you acting this way? <laughs> Blind spots. They, they could be as little as social interactions. They could be as big as the, the personal things you do day to day that affects everyone around you. It's interesting that, that marriage actually affords you an opportunity to realize your otherwise blind spots. In fact, if, if you want, uh, you can go home tonight, do an exercise, and say, Hey, hon, do I have any blind spots? And I bet that they would be more than willing, maybe even happy, to expose some things that you think are really, really right. And they're convinced you're probably wrong. Blind spots. I think of uh, the effect of blind spots not only in a personal manner, but then also in a, a spiritual manner. I consider the, the spiritual blindness of not knowing that something was a sin. Have you ever been there? I love walking with people who are new to the Bible or new to Christianity, and, and, and they rule out certain things. They, they feel, well, I'm not that sinful, And then they learn more and more of God's law and they get closer and closer to Jesus and they realize, oh my goodness, was I off? If God judges my thoughts, if he judges every word, if he judges even the motives of my heart, holy cow, I was blind, but now I see. Think of the damage done for personal blind spots. So if no one ever tells you what you're doing wrong, what you might do is ostracize yourself from friends. You might not be able to keep a romantic relationship. You might go to a workplace and not know, why does everyone seem not to like me? And so perhaps the kindest thing you can do for someone who is blind to whatever that is is say, Hey, have you considered that? Well, that's one regard. Let's go back to the spiritual blind spots. What is the damage done when we are spiritually blind? I think of the weight of parenthood. Do you know there's a weight to parenthood? As you confess Christ, as you give an example to your children, and you say or think or do things that you think are right but God would say are wrong, the potential then to influence other children or your family into the wrong because you didn't know it was wrong is there. Or then I think of the worse, which is that if we are spiritually blind, we don't want the grace of God because we don't feel we need it. We see that so often in the New Testament, don't we? The religious leaders at the time, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, those who were the most zealous for the things of God, could not see their need. Jesus was so harsh with them, wasn't he? And why? To wake them up, to wake them out of their blindness, hey, you need something I offer. In fact, he told this parable to those who thought they were righteous about two people praying in a temple, and he gives an example of a Pharisee. A Pharisee who prayed this way said, God, I thank you I'm not like other people. I'm not a robber or an evildoer or an adulterer or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. so many religious people missed the Messiah because of their spiritual blind spots. You know, this came in a worldly dialogue that Pastor Jeff and Dan and I saw. We went to hear uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson, and uh, he's a modern-day philosopher, and he was wrestling with pain, and I think every philosopher has wrestled with pain at one point or another, but there is this striking statement, uh, what happens when we realize we might be the author of our own pain, based on how we're processing what we're going through, based on what we got ourselves into, how awful to realize that sometimes the pain we're in is is pain specifically for, for what we're doing, perhaps because of a blind spot. And so, he said, we should wake up, we should should learn, we we should self-actualize, we should uh, have a revelation, and and the way to that revelation, and this was a non-Christian, confession and atonement. A non-Christian says, how do I wake up? How do I get aware of what I'm doing? Confession and atonement. And so there is the need for repentance. At Amazing Love, we have this rhythm of repentance. When we worship, we confess our sins. As a Christian, I feel there is a dire need not only to repent... Once a week, but to repent every day. Maybe every moment where you've seen that I have erred. Not erred culturally and not erred against my coworker in that political correctness, but erred against God. For in doing that, we wake up. Isaiah talked about it. Talked about what contrition looks like. Isaiah said, For our offenses are many in your sight. Our sins testify against us. When we confess our sins, Isaiah says, what you're going to find is that they're not little, they're not less, they're many. The true heart of a repentant Christian does not say, Well, my sins are light. I'm a a little sinner. No, my, my sins are big, they're great. It's a mountain. And then tonight we realize what our sins deserved. As you receive the ashes on your forehead, how can we not think that the wages of our sin is this enemy we call death? From dust we were, and to dust we will return. And why? Because sin broke the world that we're living in. So repentance, it drives us into what sin did. It it drives us to To know how much we have sinned, And, and perhaps most importantly, when we repent, we can no longer feign self righteousness. We can no longer claim moral superiority. Moral posturing loses its legs. There is not better or worse, there is just no one who is able to save themselves. And it's dire. It's desperate. We are swimming up a stream that we can't even get a little bit beyond the stream against us. We can't even a little bit pull up those bootstraps. We are hopeless and powerless and desperate and crying out to heaven, Lord, help me, I'm lost. That's what repentance does. And then you know what it does? It puts us in a beautiful position to appreciate Jesus Christ. Because never do I need him more than when I see the consequences and the depth of my sin. I don't need just some of Jesus. I need all of Jesus. I'm not going to heaven because of my... Righteous acts that are like filthy rags. I'm I'm going to heaven simply because the blood of Christ has, has covered me and washed me clean. Though my sins were like crimson, He's made them as white as snow. And yes, my sins were great. But then during Lent, I see the great cost that Jesus paid because of the great love that He had. Now, Lent means something. He's fighting my battle. He's winning my victory. He's giving me a path to peace that I could not create for myself. Yes, there is power in repentance, and we all need to do it, not just today, but every day, to really appreciate the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Lord, repenting, it's hard because it makes us vulnerable. It rubs against our sinful nature that constantly seeks to be right and better than. We need the Holy Spirit's power to come so that we can humbly admit our need. Work in us that we might always be willing to repent. Work in us that we might see our need and also find our Savior, Jesus. And Lord, thank you for the price he paid. Amen. You know, as we consider our next song, I love the words of Jesus talking to Peter about salvation. Jesus said this to Peter, With man this is impossible, but with God in us, with God all things are possible. And so may God give us a heart to see that clearly tonight. We continue a song.
1: What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. I can sing, all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken for by my side the Savior he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need Shall overcome yet not I But through Christ in me me. No fate I dread future sure, the price it has been paid, for Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. Can see. And day by day, I know he will renew me until I stand with joy. Christ in me, me. Yet yet not I, but through
2: You came here tonight, but did you realize you've really got 40 days to do what we're just starting tonight? 40 days to do the things that we're going to talk about. Pastor Dustin told us about the desperate need that we all have for this beautiful thing called repentance, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about The value of repentance, the blessings of repentance, the benefits that we all get to experience because Jesus died on the cross and rose again because he bled, gave up his life, sacrificed himself so that we could have forgiveness of sins and the opportunity to do what I want to ask you to do right now. So if you would, because it's been a little while, would you please stand? I'm going to illustrate very simply what this next 40 days is about, all right? Turn around and look at the back of church. Just reflect on that for a moment. All right? Turn back around and look at the front of the church. And finally, turn and look at that cross over there. You see what the next 40 days is all about? You can take a seat. It's just that. It's about turning. In fact, the Old Testament word for repentance is related to the root word for turn. And the suggestion in repentance is that we've turned the wrong way. As my dad used to say, sorry for the little ears in the room, I'm going back blank words. Maybe you've heard it. And so what has to happen? I have to turn around and get going the right way. And ultimately, the only way to get to the right way is to turn to the cross. I want to read to you what I think in the Bible is one of the most dramatic turning stories. Dramatic repentance stories, conversion stories even. And it comes from Luke chapter 7. Jesus has been ministering around and about in the region of Galilee to the north, where Nazareth was, where the Sea of Galilee was. And, Dustin, you spoke about Pharisees. One of those Pharisees that, Dustin did a great job of describing Jesus' normal response to them, invited Jesus to supper. And if you read the Bible, you'll notice that it's not very often, if at all, that Jesus turns down an invitation to a meal. Have you ever noticed that? I think Jesus liked to eat. But more than that, he had something to teach people in these meal encounters. And so he accepted the invitation. And in the midst of their dinner, in comes this dramatic conversion, uh, repentance story. A woman who had been up to sinful things. We don't know what those sinful things were. Some people say, but it's all just conjecture, that this was Mary Magdalene. Mary had had demons driven out of her. Maybe that was her. Some people say it was just another sinful woman whom we don't know, but very likely a prostitute. We don't know that either. And I kind of like it that we don't know the name of the person and we don't know the sinful lifestyle this person had been living because guess what we can do when it's like that? We can put our names in there. We can put our particular of sinful life and spiritual challenge in there as we hear this story. So let me read it to you. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. You'll remember that uh, in old times, they didn't sit at chairs at the dining table. They reclined on couches. That's what this is talking about. A woman in that town was who lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. She sees opportunity in this moment. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, Now that's important. He, does, he says nothing out loud. This is this is these are his thoughts. If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher he said. This is the Pharisee. Two people, Jesus says, owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. I'll just point out that's like 10 times, right? The one person owed 10 times what the other did. And a denarius is a day's wage. So this was, especially in the case of the first gentleman, a hefty sum of money. But neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I said, to me, this is one of the more dramatic conversion, repentance stories in the New Testament, because this woman was clearly heavily engaged in whatever she was doing wrong before God, and all of a sudden, here she is, using her hair as a towel, washing Jesus' feet with her tears, pouring really expensive perfume on his feet, Clearly, something has changed. Something has become different. Well, this story got me to thinking about a more modern day repentance story that I don't know if any of you have ever heard, but um, I've spoken this story not here yet, but, but several times because this man's story so struck me and touched me that I've, I've shared it several times. Let's... I, It's hard for me to see because of the lights, but anybody here know the name Brian Welch? Does that name ring a bell? Uh, Sometimes people call him Brian Head Welch. Now, Brian Welch, he is not your typical Christian. Brian Welch has long, long dreadlocks that are often decorated with little Uh, hoops around the dreadlocks, little beads in the hair. Brian has a a tattoo of tears running down his cheek. And Brian often likes to wear mascara, so his eyelids are quite dark, especially when he's playing lead in the band Corn. Brian Head Welch was your typical rock star. And one day he realized that he was trapped in sin. He didn't call it sin at that point. He didn't know to call it sin at that point. But in particular, his meth addiction was destroying him. And so he was trapped in this rock star lifestyle. All the, talk about blessings and benefits and value. (laughs) Like, he basically could have anything he wanted. He had... The big cars. People worshipped him and his music. Money, houses, women. He had a cornucopia of anything and a lifestyle of sin that he wanted. But he found himself with this crippling addiction to meth. And he said, I couldn't stay sober. I didn't want to be addicted In fact, I didn't want to use meth anymore, but I couldn't find a way to escape. But he says, you know, there comes a moment when you finally look at yourself in the mirror and you begin to reflect and you begin to wonder, is this it? Am am I done? Am I just a dead man walking? Or is there potentially a way of escape? And then someone told him about this guy named Jesus who had died for him and his sins. And he told him, you know, you really should look into this guy, Jesus, who, by the way, is not just a guy. He's actually the Son of God whom the Father God sent to rescue us and redeem us. And, and Brian says, uh, I don't think he can rescue me from this. I've tried everything. And his friend <laughs> answered him and said, you really should look into this guy. Because he can rescue you. He has the power to do that. And today, many years later, Brian left the band Corn for a number of years, but he's back. He's a Christian. He's totally changed. And in fact, if you go, apparently, I haven't been, to a Corn concert nowadays, Brian's going to tell you about Jesus and the difference that Jesus has made in his life and the total turn, turn around to the cross that he has made. Now, here's, here's why I, I bring up both these stories, okay? You've got the story of the woman in Luke chapter 7. You've got the story of Brian Head Welch. And, and they dovetail not only with each other, but also with all the other stories in the Bible that teach us the value the benefits and the blessings that you all and I can enjoy over the next 40 days. That's why I started with the 40 days. You've got a season here. And I want you to exploit all the gold mine for it that's in this season. So I'm going to give you four ways you can squeeze all the juice out of this Lenten season. Get all the value out of it. And it starts with, they're they're all R words, so hopefully they'll be somewhat memorable. They all start, in fact, with re. Because re reflects turning, doesn't it? When you redo something, you turn and you make it happen again. So number one, what did this woman have to do before she got to that Pharisee's house? Living a a, a sinful life, she had to do what Brian had Welch had to do. She had to one day, Brian said it, look herself in the mirror and rethink, reflect. And the question I have for you is, do you have time built into your schedule? Take 40 days. Let's do an experiment. And and every day, what I'd love to encourage you to do is get up on the balcony of your life. Like, we're so busy. We're so occupied. We're, We're normally just running, running, running from one thing to the next. If you're a parent, oh my goodness. But even if you're not a parent, we busy ourselves with so much stuff that we rarely can identify when we might get up on the balcony of our life and reflect, look in the mirror, see our reflection, see what's going on in our life. So my first challenge to you, would you take the next 40 days? You know, some people are going to be fasting during the 40 days. Some people are going to be practicing acts of repentance, and uh, they're going to sacrifice things during this next 40 days. Here's what I want you to sacrifice. Agree to sacrifice five to 10 minutes a day that you're going to spend just sitting quietly in reflection, thinking like this woman must have had to, what's going on with my life? Am I pleasing God with my life? Is my, does my life reflect that I am a Christ follower? Reflect. And I mentioned the second thing. So that's number one, reflect. Look yourself and your life in the mirror. Number two, I mentioned already too, is rethink. What needs to change? In fact, did you know that I told you that in the Old Testament, the word for repent means to turn, turn away from your evil life, turn back to God. In the New Testament, the New Testament word for repent means change your mind or rethink. And and I think we all know how hard that is, don't we? Because we're typically doing things because we're locked into thoughts. On staff, we're, we're reading a book called The Lies We Believe, and it's a fascinating book. If you've never read The Lies We Believe by Chris Thurman, I highly recommend it to you. You could take the next 40 days reading The Lies We Believe, and you would benefit greatly. But we find it difficult to rethink, not only because the devil's whispering in our ear, but because we get locked into our thought patterns, and we close down. So the second question I want to ask you, are you open? You can't rethink until your heart and your mind are open. The lady in Luke 7, she had to at some point say to herself as she's looking in the mirror, is there something I'm doing? Is there something I need to do differently? Is there something I need to change and rethink and that's the thought I want to plant into your mind and into your heart for the next 40 days. The third thing, though, is the most fun one. This woman makes it into the Pharisee's house, doesn't she? And there, it might look like she's grieving, right? Because she's wetting Jesus' feet with her, with her tears. She's giving up this perfume. She's wiping his feet with her hair. And maybe from the outside, it looks a little bit like she's grieving. And maybe she is. Maybe that's a part of what she's doing. But here's my theory. I believe that she was rejoicing. And that's the third re-word. Reflect, rethink, rejoice. And why would this woman have been rejoicing? So much so that it's brought her to tears? So much so that she's wanting to use her hair as a towel. So much so that she's going to take a very valuable amphora, it's called, of perfume. Break it open because it had to be broken and it couldn't be resealed. And pour it on Jesus' feet until the, until the odor of it filled the room. I believe she was rejoicing. Rejoicing, why? Because she was experiencing in Jesus' presence what she knew Jesus to be, her Savior. The forgiver of her sins. The one who could take all that past life, all that Brian Head Welch past life that she had been living, and take an eraser to it, a super eraser, so there would be no trace left of her sins. And she knew that Jesus could say to her, I'm going to shed my blood for you, and when I do that, that blood is going to pay the ransom price for all your sins. Your debt is forgiven. Here's the last R word. Once you've experienced that joy, you know what the most... Natural and yet valuable thing in the whole world is the last thing, and it's revive. Revive means come alive again. This woman thought she had been living the life. Brian had Welch to the sinful nature was living the life, and she came to, through her reflection, rethinking, and rejoicing over Jesus' forgiveness realize, now I can really start living. Now I can really have the life that God wants me to have. A a rich life of following Him, having His presence and power, going with me wherever I go. I can have, in other words, hope every day I wake up knowing that God's grace is leading me forward in life. And we need hope. Brian Head Welch, here's a quote. Nowadays, this is what he says. People need hope. I don't know about you, maybe one of the questions I need to ask you, does it it feel to you like hope is running dry? And if you're here tonight... I want you to be assured, hope is not dead. There's a light at the end of the tunnel brought by Jesus. And it's a very bright and wonderful light that leads you into this new life. Brian says, people need hope. There's addictions like crazy in this world. There's depression. It's not the most popular thing to talk about christ at a rock concert but i'm doing it because it's the most real thing that's ever happened to me in my life and in this next 40 days of lent i want this very real thing to happen to you too because this yes it's the season of repentance but the season of repentance that leads ultimately to great hope and joy let's pray Dear Father in heaven, thank you for these beautiful examples of how you, through your Son, Jesus Christ, change lives and bring people from darkness and death into the light and into hope and resurrection and revival. Lord, I pray in the next 40 days, all of us will will find some time to reflect to look ourselves and our lives in the mirrors, to rethink the things that we need to rethink, to rejoice over your forgiveness and not let guilt or regret rob us of our joy. Lord, most of all, I pray that this will be a time of revival for every member of Amazing Love as they experience your beautiful gospel truth. And I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name, Amen. Will you um, uh, say with me this beautiful um, set of words from the second article of the Apostles' Creed? Join with me. I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord, who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature, purchased and won me from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death, that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. Even as he is risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity, this is most certainly true." All right, a couple of just quick family matters. You can find most of these on the back of your program. One of the things I want to do tonight is invite you to come back on Sunday morning. We're starting a new message series called Led by the Cross for this Lenten season. So come join us at 9 and 11 this coming Sunday as we kick off that new message series. Um, I also need to uh, mention that that the announcement about the youth rally in Colorado where we're trying to gauge interest, this is, we're kind of getting to that point where we've got to nail down the interest level. So we're making kind of a final push, a final call to uh, know whether or not you have young people who are interested in that youth rally. You can talk to Pastor Dustin or to Devin. Um, you can write us an email or text us. Just let us know if you have people who are interested. Um, The reading plan you've seen announced many times here, I just want to say if you're thinking about jumping on to the reading plan, this is a great time to do that and we can help you do that even tonight after the service. Julie would be happy to help you uh, get in on our reading plan. We'll be finishing up the book of Matthew in the next couple days and I believe it's Saturday. Saturday. we'll be starting uh, the book of Mark. So jump in with us and and join with us on that. All right, Uh, let's join in the Lord's Prayer, and then we'll do the imposition of ashes. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this